Welcome to the Fred Club, everybody. My name is John Height. Good to have you along again this week. Uh, these uh, shows come from interviews I've done while writing for Vintage Guitar Magazine. I taped those interviews, and uh, now we're able to let you listen to them. This one, today we pull out an interview from 2012 with a fella I call the Master of Tone. His sound, one of those elusive sounds every guitar player looks for. He is Greg Martin of the Kentucky Headhunters. Members of the Headhunters had known and played music together in a lot of different forms various times since the late 60s. And then they got back together and released Pickin' on Nashville in 1989. The hit paid with that record. It was a mix of country music and good old-fashioned southern rock and roll. It would yield four top 40 country hits. Subsequent albums wouldn't sell as much, but the music continues to flow out of the band, especially Martin's talented hands. When I talked with him back in 2012 for a feature in Vintage Guitar Magazine, it wasn't really promoting anything, but we had plenty to chat about. He's truly one of the great guys in music. Uh, Strangely enough, though, we started the conversation with talk about Vinyl records instead of guitars and amps. How you doing there, John? I was talking to a... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to wake up, so forgive me. My brain just kind of spews out the wrong stuff. But there was another fella called me. Uh, we're, you know, I'm a vintage uh, stereo fanatic. Yeah, I've noticed this. This guy's got some stuff I've been trying to get him to come off of. <laughs> he calls me, but... He's, a, he's trying to taunt me, you know. You know, he's wanting, he's wanting me to come out with these guitars, you know. But I don't want to say, I don't care about your guitars. I want your stereo. <laughs> I you saw know. in your Facebook stuff that you're uh, you're you're back into the vinyl heavily. It looks like. Oh my lord, yeah. <laughs> I'm having the biggest time of that, and I'm still. Thank God, I've still got about. Uh, oh God, I collected vinyl heavy, you know, from you know the '60s and the '70s. Sure. It's not the best shape, but I've still got about about. Uh, 90% of what I grew up with. So I'm going back through it. I've got it all in the garage. It's a little back room in the garage, and I'm going yep. out there every night, and I'll pick two things, and i go, okay, yeah, yeah, here's this and that, you know. <laughs> and, and plus I'm buying a new 180 grade thing. For sure. It really meant a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I'm having fun with that. Yeah, I unfortunately sold most of mine about five years ago. Kept you really? I kept 300, maybe. Uh, well... I wish a lot of them. I wish I had. You know what I mean. <laughs> but I you had a lot of. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was up. You know, maybe the seven, eight thousand albums. Uh, but I mean, a lot of it was. How many? Seven or eight thousand. Where did you keep them at? I had. Uh, I have a in my house. Uh, uh, the basement basically is all mine, and I just used one wall that was all bookcases full of yeah. albums. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, and that's kind of the reason I got rid of them. I said, oh, I could use more room here for other stuff, unfortunately, but uh, anyway. <laughs> well, we, we all went through that, I, and I'm yep. telling this guy a while ago, I mean, you know, and I, won't, I won't keep you too long on this subject, because I know your time is uh, pretty, pretty precious this morning, but, but I, back in the 70s, I worked at an electronic store. Uh, it was a wholesale retail place called P.I. Burks in Louisville. Sure. And I loved that job. I absolutely loved it. I've worked there about three years. I've managed the store. And we had, like, it was like a little satellite store, and it sold, we sold Kenwood Pioneer. All kind of different, uh, well, they're not, they weren't like Macintosh, but you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Really yeah. nice stereo stuff. And plus, uh, we, we sold records and eight tracks, whatever, which was popular at the time and everything. Yep. Uh, so, I, you know, I was collecting like crazy man and I've just always been a fanatic about it for around and and I bought a really nice Pioneer system because I was employed right through Pioneer 
1977, I bought it. Uh, yeah. 77, then I had to end up selling it later that year by Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I had had a really good stereo really up to about earlier this year, and I started buying this stuff again, finding the rims, going okay. You know? Every, every, <laughs> every comes around, goes around, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this stuff now, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly cheap. You know, you, yep. not, not with everybody, but uh, there's collectors out there, but you, sometimes people just give it to you. Say, here, take it. That's a boat anchor, you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have some stuff out in my garage, actually. Most of it's, I had a ton of Harmon Carton stuff when I was younger, and uh, that's all sitting out in my garage. I'm not sure what to do with it all. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean about people you giving it. What kind of system? Listen on. Uh, well, now I have techniques, uh, and okay. my, my CD players, both, I have two that are Sony's, but I had all, when I was younger, it was Harman Kardon stuff, everything, literally, you know, cassette players, the amp, everything. That, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that so, really I, uh, I, uh, I know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, well, I don't, you know, I saw your email this morning, you had a ton of great stuff on there. I have enough there, really, to do a story, but I want to get some background Well, you can you. pull whatever you want. Yep. I, and I remember I sent you, I don't know if you still had it, do you remember the the uh, email I sent you pretty much about the money, Jeremiah's about the memory? Yes, I still have that. Yep, I still have that. And I'll give you an idea if you want to know who actually, it's a, it's a crazy project as far as that goes, you know. Yeah, um... There, I got plenty on that, and then with uh, the other stuff you sent me, I have that. I know, you got way more. <laughs> yeah, I'm I know. mad about that. I, I, get, a, edit, I get a thousand words, so <laughs> that'll oh, give me. I understand, you do whatever you got, yeah. Yeah, I will, and, and I do want to get some background in about you. I mean, a lot of people know your background, and I know it, but I'd still like to get, you know, out of the horse's mouth, for lack of a better word. Uh, no offense intended. <laughs> no, no, jackass. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> um, can, if we can, can we just start with, and I won't, you know, like I said, this won't be long because I have plenty. But, no, but, I'm fine. Yeah, if I can just get my brain to work, I think it's just starting to work. Okay. I know. I just <laughs> I just have my first cup of coffee, so I know what you mean. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, can we uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you growing up in music, how, how you got you know, the bug, how, how things, uh, especially the guitar bug, uh, which is important, of course, to our, our readers. But uh, we, yeah. we can just talk about uh, when you were a kid, what got you rolling as far as okay. music and guitars go. Well, uh, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And my father played a little guitar. He didn't have one. I know I heard it one time, you know, he had a little Martin guitar. Sure. He had to sell. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, but he was a, a guitar fan. Uh, I had a, an older brother, Gary, that uh, played rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And there was always uh, his guitars laying around, like, a, you know, maybe Stratocasters. <laughs> then, then we had a cousin move in from the country up there and stayed with us for two or three years and he had a nice old 335 so between Gary and Larry there were always nice guitars yeah. and I did grow up in a household that listened to radio a lot watched TV so I was always hearing AM country rock different things on the radio you know back in those days radio was very diverse and um, my brother and my cousin had a really wonderful record collection of the Yardbirds, the Beatles, Lonnie Mack, uh, Travis Walmack, uh, the Birds, and all kind of, Love and Spoonful, 
know. Mm-hmm. And sure. so I kind of, you know, the, the, we're seeing the Beatles on TV in 64 definitely was a uh, plus get me into it. <laughs> but uh, there, there was a couple of things, I think, that really pushed me over the edge. Uh, I saw the London Spoonful in the fall of 1966 at Memorial Auditorium in Louisville. Uh-huh. John Sebastian was playing at Little Sunburst at whatever it is, the 59, I guess, you know. Uh-huh. And that... Uh, Sally was in the band too mm-hmm. before he had left, and I and I really loved the Love Spoonful. So that planted the seed. And about that time, my dad up and moved everyone to Edmonton, Kentucky, which is my family roots. And I mean, was very fortunate because I ended up meeting Richard and Fred, and you know mm-hmm. all that. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. But there was nothing to do. Yeah, I remember we moved down right after Christmas. 66, and there was just nothing to do but listen to music, listen to radio, <laughs> and I had an old beat-up Stella guitar, which I would beat on, you know, Yeah. and uh, of course, by the time 67 rolled around, you know, you're starting to hear some interesting music, and I remember the first night I heard uh, Purple Haze on WLS out of Chicago, mm-hmm. and it definitely, Art Roberts, Art Roberts played it, and I thought, wow, what is this, you know, and of course, that was, you know, that was just kind of pushed it along. And then in 1968, my um, cousin, I, I was, uh, went back to Louisville for, um, I think it was a family wedding or something. And um, he took me to see this group called Elysian Field in Louisville, mm-hmm. who was a three-piece band that had a record deal on Imperial Records. And uh, I don't know, that night that I saw those guys, they had a guitarist named Frank Busby, amazing player it just tripped a switch and I swear right after that I just that's all I did was sit around and play guitar my brother gave me a Gretsch silver jet from the 50s to bang on which was pretty cool yeah you know yeah sure um, now here comes the cat she wants to get in on yeah <laughs> and uh, you know then that Christmas you know I got uh, it was really it was a cool year you know I got I get the silver jet to play with um uh, for Christmas, I get a Vox tone bender, you know, wah wah pedal, a Clyde McCoy <laughs> yeah. Vox uh, wah wah pedal, and a, and a little magnetone amplifier. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful, hideous sounds. And plus, I get all these cool vinyl records and everything of Cream and Henry. But really, you know, there was kind of a little, there was stuff leading up to it. But I, by 1968, man, I was just smitten by the whole thing. And, then around 69 or 70, uh, my brother worked at a pawn shop in Louisville, and a gentleman came in one day wanting to sell a uh, yellow TV mm. special. Yeah. And he he knew, he, my brother knew I was really into it, and he got the guy's number. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take it on pawn, so we went out and worked out a private deal. <laughs> Yeah, I got that guitar, so I, that was my really first, uh, well, no, I actually started out on vintage guitars, I guess, you know, the silver guitar. Yeah, that, sure. And that, in the, uh, in the 50s uh, special. So, oh, um, wow. you know, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, but, uh, but there was a lot of, uh, you know, leading up to it, around 68, it, it, it got pretty in. Sure. Since then, I just didn't eat up with it. There you go. Or, <laughs> or about the same age, did you learn like most of us? You just, uh, you know, picked up things here and there from people, that kind of stuff, from records? Yeah. Same? Yeah. Well, 
I had, like I said, my cousin Larry lived with us. He played guitar. Mm -hmm. And my brother, Gary, they both played, you know, they played rock and roll. Yep. They were really into Lonnie Mac. And Louisville had a really strong Lonnie Mac following, you know. Okay, yep. We had the wham of that Memphis band LP. And it, it, just, it, just, it will always be with me. But, but yes, learning off records and just picking out things on the guitar. I don't read music. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did have a couple people from, you know, the people from school, from elementary school that, you know, after we said, you know, say, yeah, you should, I hear you got a guitar in the house and, and, and they come by and the first thing I, I remember any, it was a guy by the name of Gary Kenneman. I, I can't think how you spell his name. We call okay. him Curly. Mm -hmm. He showed me uh, what I say on the guitar by Ray Charles. Uh -huh. After that, it was just kind of like sitting on the front porch, picking out notes and learning how to play Day Tripper or little riffs like that. Yep. Until 68, when I heard, you know, all this stuff really like Clapton and uh, Hendrix, and it just, yeah, you know, the first time I really heard a really good vibrato, I said, what is it? I want to learn how to do that, <laughs> you know. Yep. I want to get that sound that Clapton's getting on Sunshine of Your Love, you know. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. That did, type of thing. Did you? But it was all basically your your training. Yeah. Uh, did you play uh, in bands? You know, teenage stuff. Were you you know kind of the normal route? Well, oddly enough, <laughs> in Louisville, I didn't play in a band at all. Okay. Yeah. But when I moved to Edmonton in late '66, in '68, this is an interesting little story. Um, I've got like a second, third cousin named Larry Sullivan whose uncles were Alonzo and Oscar. Do you know who they are? I don't, know. Alonzo and Oscar were these really huge country stars. Okay. Back in the 50s and 40s. They got their start with Eddie Arnold. Oh, okay. The Sullivan family in Midcalf County were just all very musical. And um, so Larry looking on the school bus one day and says, hey, Greg, there's a guy just moved to our school from another neighboring school because his dad has to do some teaching, um, student teaching or something. And um, I thought I'd hook you guys up. There's going to be a play, a 4-H play, and this and that. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out Larry introduces me to Richard Young uh -huh. in the fall of 68. I, I, I go, you know, I'm a freshman in high school. Richard's in the eighth grade. Um, I take my little, my grudge silver jet, I walk down to uh, the cafeteria at the elementary school to meet Richard, and we sit there and jam on Hey Jude, uh, Born to be Wild, um, what else did we play, uh, Sunshine of Your Love, and, you know, try to play Purple Haze and things like that, and we, you know, we just kind of, we really hit it off. We did the 4-H play with some other guys from school, and he, and he told me about this band he had with his brother Fred and his mm -hmm. cousin Anthony. So we just started playing together. So I started playing together, uh, started playing in bands around like, there again in 1968, in which I would have been about 13, 14 years old, you know. Yeah, and still playing with some of the same guys, isn't that amazing? Same guys. <laughs> isn't it weird? The, the, the first band I really ever started with, uh -huh. of course, I, we went off and played with different people since then. Sure. Of circumstances. But I'm still playing with three guys, uh, the two guys that I started with, and Anthony was with us up to about uh, four years ago. Uh, he he was, came back out and played with the Headhunters for about 15 years, so 
It's funny how those things work. Yeah, it really is what a great story. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's a really funny. It's funny because if I hadn't moved, and Dad hadn't got fed up. He worked at a printing company in Louisville, Boston mm-hmm. Printing Company, and he just got fed up with it. He was a, you know, him and Mom grew up in Metcalf County, Edmonton, and he just got fed up with it. He just moved everybody down there. <laughs> and if I had, if he had done that, I probably would have never met him. You know. Sure. Yeah. Huh. Uh, <laughs> Can we talk some, now the one thing, uh, I've been a fan of yours since the first Headhunters album, okay? Well, thank you. Uh, I know and, you've been very kind, you always. Well, you have this incredibly amazing tone when you play that, <laughs> you know. Well, so, thank you. And obviously, this is going to be a stupid question, obviously, yes, you're trying for that tone, I guess. Can you talk a little bit about tone? And I know that's a big, broad question. I guess I'm just saying is what made you, uh, at some point, say, boy, here's the sound I love and want to get, blah, blah, yeah, blah. You well, know what I mean? Does that I'll make sense? You, I'll, t- I'll tell you where it all started. And who instilled tone into me was my father. Okay. Maxie G. Martin. And even though he wasn't an electric player, he had, a, his hero was Jimmy Short, mm-hmm. guitarist for Ernest Tubb. Yep. And he was always infatuated with Jimmy Short's tone, and which Jimmy Short played a triple out forty-five or a, one of those Martins with mm-hmm. a Electra Muse pickup, and he knew exactly what Jimmy played and how he achieved that sound. And when I listened back to it, it was a very pretty, sustaining tone for oh. for back then. It wasn't just uh, uh, some country records back then sounded pretty. Uh, archaic so to speak sure sure um you know in the 60s i can't remember anything tonal wise that really i mean there's a lot of records that were influential um but i think what really this is a little hard but i'm thinking the things the the, the thing that really turned me on to sound was listening there again listening to wls one night mm-hmm. a little i had a car radio uh, that robbed out of an old junk car up the road where we lived. We lived out in the middle of nowhere in Cedar mm-hmm. Flats, Kentucky, and uh, outside of Edmonton. And I realized early on that car radios had a better receiver end than the, the tabletops. Mm-hmm. So I had an old car radio hooked up where I could, you know, with a, with a power supply and an antenna <laughs> outside, and I was picking up, you know, LS, WCFL, and... Uh, <laughs> WLAC in Nashville and all kind of crazy stations, you know, and here and all. Because I was listening, man, I was really in 60, 68, 67, 68, I was listening to these new bands popping up like Cream and sure. stuff like that. When I heard Sunshine of Your Love, it was really, I think that one record there steered me to what I wanted to do tonally. Um, and I guess that's up to discussion on what he actually played on it and we know it's probably a Marshall I'm sure but now I've heard it could have been a Les Paul Custom or it could have been an SG I don't really know but you know that was the start of that quest for tone yeah and you know I thought back back in the day that really okay man fuzz tone wah wah pedal I'm gonna get that sound well no not at all <laughs> um, I do remember I do remember sitting with Richard, and this was back in 68, uh, he had this little bitty, I don't even know what kind of amp it was, it had to be about three or four watts, you know, it yep. was a tube amp, 
it was uh, he had like a little psychedelic daisy pasted on top of it. I just remember plugging in that thing one day, and, and we just turned it all in. And I'm going, man, that really sounds closer than the buzz <laughs> and the wawa, you know, yeah. the one I'm talking about. Well, you know, I remember that little lesson right there. So it just took a few years. You know, I went through, you know, high school, kind of searching out different things. And, um, and I got my first Marshall in 1973. Mm -hmm. It was a plexi Marshall 50 water. But I blew that thing up on them just every other week. Man, it blew up because I didn't know any better. Um, I, I, there again, I was still just searching for that sound, mm -hmm. you know. And I never, I don't think I really, I started, when I really, I think I really started nailing this. Just, and I, what I learned is when I just plug straight into a darn tube amplifier, especially an old Marshall amp, mm -hmm. I, found, I found my sound, mm -hmm. you know. Really, if I, like a, a, my favorite thing is just take a 100 watt, and sometimes I pull two tubes out of it. As soon as I plugged into a hundred water and turned it up about seven, of course that kills your ears and everything, you know. <laughs> the sound was there, John, you know, and I basically I could I could twiddle the you know, the the volume and uh, I always call that hillbilly channel switching if you want it more distorted, turn it up. <laughs> yeah. To turn it down you got a clean sound. But I, I really think when I finally hit the sound I wanted, it was plug in uh, a Les Paul standard into a, a Marshall. Of course, I've refined that over the years. You know, since I've got the 15 Les Paul and I've got several old Marshall. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got like a 6900 water and then I've got the 58 Les Paul. It's just like a marriage made to heaven. <laughs> you know, I just don't use... i got pedals that they're laying around and I never use them. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to trade them for stereo gear. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just, I just plug into a Marshall, and that's it. I, you know, I think it all started with listening to Eric Clapton. Of course, you know, Billy Gibbons has been a great teacher. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great teacher, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, that's some tone, too, isn't it, I guess? <laughs> oh, he's a tone master. Of course, he's just got that touch. You know, and I think the album that taught me a lot about tone is the live side of Wheels of Fire. Uh, Spoonful. That mm -hmm. sound right there is just massive, man. Mm-hmm. And part of it, you know, uh, it just let me say, obviously, is the player too. And uh, you know, obviously, you contribute to to your own sound. Uh, just to, well, everybody's got a. I like to say everybody's got their little DNA in their face, Sure. You know, and, and huh? uh, everybody's got a different touch. Uh, you because it's true, man. You can put another guy on the same amp and they're going to sound different. I mean, Santana, yep. when you hear him, man, you know who it is. Yep. Uh, most generally, you know who Clapton is anymore. Sometimes I thought, one day I thought I was hearing Clapton with John Mayer. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not a put down either, by the way. No, no, I, I know. Because I think John, he's picked up some stuff from him. But, but yeah, to me, it's just, uh, you know, another really... Yeah, the 80s was just a weird little time anyway. I went through Mesa Boogies. I went through everything. And sure. Um, the, the, I, this is how picking on that. You say you really like picking on Nashville. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a little story because it could have turned out a 
lot worse. Let me tell you what happened. Well, the first marshal to ever come into the state, which I now own the 69 marshal, my God, mm-hmm. I used to pick it on Nashville. Uh, it belonged to Elysian Field. It, it, uh-huh. uh, Mark Maselli owned that amp, and he had got fed up with it because it must have been blowing up and this and that. Ended up selling it to, uh, back in the 70s, and he sold it to uh, our sound man now, Steve Wilson. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Steve, you know, back then, this is before Steve Wilson become Mr. Bias King. And, you know, he, he, he working on amplifiers and things like that. He's a great amp man, Steve Wilson. Besides our sound man, he ended up selling the amp, and somehow that amp just ended up all over. Uh, he kept the cabinets, but the head ended up somewhere around Lexington where Roy from RS Guitar Works founded at Good Old Boys Music without any tubes or something, you know, and he uh, had it for a while. And then he traded in, uh, in around 1988, he traded in the Guitar Emporium, which I walked in right about, uh, oh God, about a day after he traded in, I grabbed it. And uh, like I say, when I plugged that amp in, it just changed. It, it took me back to the 70s when I first plugged into Marshall. I thought, my God, this is what I I knew what I was supposed to do, but this is it right here. Uh, I was going to use a Mesa Boogie on picking on Nashville. I uh-huh. started out, but when I plugged that Marshall in, uh, that 1969, it just changed the whole thing. You know? <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. 60, so, so basically, I'm picking on Nashville. And that's when I really, really went back to what I do now. And, and I have not feared off that, and I won't either. Yeah. <laughs> I won't do it. Yeah. Um, I, I used a, um, eight of the tracks, I can't, I, mean, I used the 69, 100 water, mm-hmm. two tubes full, and um, 70s checkerboard cabinet of some kind. It had to be like a 73 or 74 cabinet with... 30 watts. So that was just, you know, I was, and I was using a Les Paul, uh, what they call Les Paul Heritage at the time, mm-hmm. on some of the songs. This is crazy, too. They, we, the, 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 the Heritage was their first foray back into the uh, reissue world, if yeah. you remember, yep. in 1980. So I was using that with some Seymour Duncans. Uh, and I also had like a 50, late 50s Strat with. EMGSA pickups in it too, which uh, people go, how'd you get that sound on Walk Softly? So up the Strat with SA pick uh, the EMG pickups. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I only now on that album, I only used the Les Paul in about two tracks. Really? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. The rest of it is that Strat. I walked. I walked into a music store years ago in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And there was a stripped Les Paul. I mean, I mean a stripped. Stratocaster, it was mm-hmm. like a uh, slapboard '59. I'm thinking that's what it was, and it was. And the parts were all gone. Mm-hmm. Of course, this was the time of Steve Luker there and all that stuff. Yep, sure. Um, I did. I didn't route it out for a humbucker, but I did have it refinished red uh, by Lay Guitars up in Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Virgil Lay and Dan Shin. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was with Ronnie McDowell. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I don't know if you... I played with Ronnie McDowell for eight and a half years. I did know that, yep. I did, yeah. I didn't know it was that long, really, okay. So most of the 80 are good. Oh, yeah, yeah, from 81 to 
end of 89, and okay. there was a time when I was first playing with the Headhunters and Ronnie, but I was making my living with Ronnie McDowell until he signed their deal and I had to leave. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. that was it. But, um, so I'm picking on Nashville. Everything except uh, my daddy was a milkman. Right. My dad was a middleman. That's that's the list, Paul. Mm-hmm. And and I think part of the solo on the middle solo on uh, "Old On For Me" is is a list, Paul. Because I know the beginning is, is that Stratocaster with the flame bar thing going on, you know, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But most most of that was done with the fifties. Uh, Strat uh, with MGSAs into that 100 watt Marshall, and, and then um, that was it. Now another thing I did use too uh, on a couple tracks I used a 50 watt Marshall. Okay. Used a 50 watt Marshall head in the same cabinet, but but it, but no no effects or nothing like that. Yeah, right. The only place I started I was getting ready to use the uh, boogie. The Marshall sounded so good that was in the boogie. Only, the only place the boogie made an appearance on. Picking on Nashville was on Skip a Rope where you could hear it go. Woke up with a terrible scream and you hear this guitar go, That was it. Okay. I'm sorry to Bob Smith. Is that his name, Bob? I think so, yes. We won't flag him, but anyway, no. Uh, give you way more than you need there. That's fine. The more, the better, you know what I mean? It's easier to have. Too much than not enough. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I've interviews on the radio with Johnny Winter. And, and uh-huh. he, have you ever interviewed him? No, I haven't. Oh, man. You'll, you'll, you'll set him up with a perfect, uh, he can run, where he can run. Uh-huh. He'll go, oh, that's right, that's right. That's all he'll say. <laughs> <laughs> He's a man of few words, in other words. Oh, no, I had him on the radio show and the interview was done in 10 minutes. I felt like the first time I thought, God, what happened? <laughs> He's a nice guy. He wasn't mean or anything. Yeah, he just uh, doesn't talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. Well, when you, uh, one last question about guitars and amps. Uh, uh, do you, when you're playing live, when you're recording, do you pretty much use the setup you were talking about earlier still? Uh, you know, is it the Les Paul, the Marshall? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's what yeah, pretty thinking. much everything I still do today is... Uh, Either the 58 Les Paul that I got from Hank Jr. back a few years ago. Okay. You know, that, that's, that, that guitar was given to me uh, around 1991. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's a 58 Sunburst, and that, that is my favorite guitar in the world. I mean, it's you plug it in into an old Marshall, and there's that sound, you know, it's just mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, I, I might deviate sometimes. I might use a, I've got a 57 strap that I'll use on it. I've used on a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got several guitars. I'd have to probably send you a list of what I've got. But uh, in the studio, yeah. Yeah, it's usually... Mm-hmm. Um, on Rufus Huff, I think I was using two different Marshalls. I was using a 50-watt Plexi into a basket weave, and I was using a 6900 watt into another basket weave. So I was running... It was pretty loud. you know. Sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, basically, unless Paul into a vintage Marshall. That's basically what I do, you know. Okay, okay. Uh, I've got, like I said, got other guitars, you know, but, but uh, and they're fun, mm-hmm. but it just always, 
comes back to that darn Les Paul. Man, yeah, you know. there's, there's always that one. I know. I know how it works. <laughs> and that's the sound that I hear in my head <laughs> with with the uh, with the with all the buzzing from all the loud cars over the years. You know. <laughs> Kentucky Headhunters continue to make great music, releasing several records in the past decade. Uh, Martin also put out a fine side project back in 2007 called The Mighty Jeremiah's. It features Greg on guitar, former Wet Willie singer Jimmy Hall, and others doing songs with a rock and gospel tilt. Well worth the price of admission if you can find a copy. That is it for this week's Frat Club. Please let us know how we're doing by sending me an email at jhight at hbi.com or a message on the Frat Club's Facebook or Twitter pages. And uh, we'd like to keep doing the show. And, uh, you know, to do that, uh, we could use some sponsors. Feel free to contact us if you'd like to advertise or if you know somebody that would like to advertise. Uh, Thanks for listening this week. It's the Frat Club. I'm John Height, and we will talk to you again next week.